friends, and welcome back to the dinner table. We sure did miss you, and we hope you missed us too. My name, of course, is Aislinn Campbell, and with me... Joe Hilliard. Hi. Hello, love. How are you? I'm great. In my mind, last week, when people went to their podcast application of choice to listen to Dinner Table Talks at 5.01 a.m. on Monday morning, Mm -hmm. and saw a a three-and-a-half-minute episode... They cried. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to imagine the heartbreak that occurred all over, not even the country, but the entire world. (laughs) Exactly. What is going on over there? What's the malfunction? That was a first for us. I would say that anybody that has worked with us with Grow Local South Texas might have understood that things like that happen with Joe and Aislinn from time to time. What do you mean? I mean that we are very public. Yes. And so because we're very public... When we deal with challenges in our life, they too are public. And sometimes we're not as good at dealing with the challenges in public as we might think we are. But the other side of it is, is, and this is the thing for me, I'm trying very hard to be a lot more open and honest about the challenges as much as I am open and honest about the celebrations. It's easy to tout your successes and celebrations, but the behind the scenes stuff, that exposes a flaw, be it a flaw or not. But my perception of a personal flaw, I tend to keep that to myself. And that's not healthy. It's not. And that's where we are in existence right now, where I've talked about the idea of healing for a while. I've talked about how important it is to heal. And we've begun having more conversations about toxic positivity. We are having conversations about the fake life someone lives on Instagram or in their podcast or whatever. And I think when we live in that space, we don't allow for the idea that people have hard times. Life isn't always perfect. People are all trying to face their own demons and challenges. And it doesn't give us the ability to be empathetic and compassionate for people when we don't know the hard times. And what ends up happening is, is that there's like a separation between those that only talk about hard times and then those that refuse to talk about any hard times. And so then there's a push-pull mm. on that front. Okay, right? because as I say, me exposing what I perceive to be my own flaws is something I don't do. You're absolutely right. And especially in the age of social media, there are folks out there and that's all they want to talk about. Every single problem, every single challenge. And I tend to not align with that. So you're saying somewhere in the middle, like everything else, (laughs) somewhere in the middle is the appropriate place to probably be. One of my favorite new terms, I used it when I spoke to some college students the other day. I used it when I spoke to my son today, and that is harmony and duality, meaning we've got to find the happy space where we understand that life has both good and light things, and it has dark and bad things, right? And in that space, we understand that we can't know what we don't want if we don't know what exists or doesn't exist. If the so-called bad or darkness that we don't want, we've never seen it before, then actually what ends up happening is is that we don't treat the good stuff with the value that it receives. Is that a twist on the idea of you don't appreciate the mountaintop if you've never been in the valley? That's duality, certainly. Mm -hmm. And the idea that duality also says that we exist as individual selves and as a collective consciousness at the exact same time, which means our self-awareness 
is as equally important as the whole community or the world or the planet because we're all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so because we're all interconnected, we have to be able to give love to the challenges as much as we give love to the celebrations. And then there's a level of if you are constantly always just going off the charts in celebration about the good things, it means you're going to go off the charts in the dumps Mm -hmm. for the bad things. So how do we find a more balanced space to be where self and collective are equal, where everyone has equal value internally, where the good and the bad both have equal value, are both equally important in existence. And then it gives you the ability to give love to things that look really, really dirty and ugly and gross. Mm -hmm. Because you know that with your love, we can shift and change those things. I ran across a meme today and it's exactly, it's, it, it was exactly what I needed to say for the podcast today. And that is never trust your tongue when your heart is bitter. Hush and heal. Humans have imperfection and we have a lot to learn and it's not unusual when great things are happening for us to have some challenges as we level up or move or shift and it certainly is going to be very challenging in a relationship to have someone shifting and communicating in a way that says oh your pain has got to come out to someone else but at the same time I'm not supposed to tell you what to do about your pain because it's your pain and it has nothing to do with me So instead, when we're both in pain, our tongues just lash at each other, and then we start lashing ourselves. And so I think that that's what happens. We need to get get better at hushing and healing ourselves. And I like that meme, too, that I'm going to be able to use not only in our relationship, but every relationship. Uh Uh-huh. Refrain from using words while you have a bitter heart. Yes. That's a good one to pass along. Absolutely. Unanswered questions. Real quick one. Mm-hmm. What is celeriac? Yeah. Neither one of us really exactly knew what it was. I think you n- knew that it was in the celery. It's in the parsley celery family. That right. part I know. Parsnips, all that. If you were to pull the celery that you grow up out of the ground, what is the root structure? It's a pretty massive root structure. Is there a bulb down there's, there? There's kind of a bulb. It's not a bulb, but it's definitely like a mass. A mass. Okay. So a celeriac is grown for that mass more right. than it is the stalks, which we know as celery. That was a, kind of my little guess, but I didn't know enough about it to... And the, that bulb or root mm-hmm. is taken and you know, diced or sliced or shredded or all the things we do with vegetables and known for its celery, but yet nutty flavor. And you'll see like a celeriac soup is a popular mm-hmm. thing when the, okay. the timing is right. And that is my favorite part of an answer questions is uh, now everyone can go to the next cocktail party and, you know, mention these things. Yes, I learned on dinner table talks about the celeriac root. Well, when your podcast is called Dinner Table Talks, the conversation we're about to have is tailor-made for that. So this past week, we finally had that event that I spent ages talking about. Your very first farm-to-table cooking experience. Yes. Yes, with my friends and chef C. John Prado and his wife Bianca, and then of course my parents, the hosts of the farm. As I mentioned last week, we've been building this space on the farm with these concepts and ideas of things that we wanted to do. And this week, we hosted the very first 
concept to decide what are the right things for us to do. And it was a huge success. It was such a huge success that we've already planned the next one with the chef and begun laying it out and it'll be sold out before the end of the day. The pavilion was gorgeously decorated with so many flower arrangements that you'd created from your own gardens and growing. I'm always going to have beautiful, fresh flowers at a farm-to-table event. But one of the things that you're going to do at a farm-to-table event when you're inviting people onto your property and that you've grown a lot of the food they're about to eat on this property is that they're going to walk through the gardens. Okay, so the way that I grow is a technique called integrated gardening, which means that you, I pretty much grow everything together. Because of that, I have a lot of flowers that come up all over the place in the midst of things. And some of them are big, bushy, like wildflowers, like Coreopsis and the Indian paintbrush and these bachelor button flowers. And they need to be tended. Otherwise, someone can't walk through the row. Oh, they get overgrown, I see. Mm -hmm. So as I'm going through, and I had worked very diligently to get everything harvested that I could harvest that wasn't going to be in bad shape by the time that we got to the event. So I harvested, you know, like the hardier stuff, any tomatoes, any peppers, any squash. I harvested beans. I harvested heads of cabbage, anything I wasn't concerned about. But on that morning, in order to get any soft leaf, lettuce, spinach, flowers, any of that stuff, I had to get there as early as possible because this past Saturday, after dealing with pretty much cold front, right, a couple days before 60 degree April, which is pretty cool for us for April. Mm -hmm. We hit a 97 degree spike. Yeah, that's going to make your heart rate go up when you've got a farm to table event in a couple of days. Literally. And on the menu, we have, I've fully told the chef, hey, we're going to have lettuce. We're going to have spinach. We're going to have soft leaf stuff. We're going to be able to make a nice salad mix. I was all panicked about it. So, but why, I don't know why I panic really because it's no nothing. I, won't panic I don't know as why you panic anymore. either because the canvas is so diverse out there that I know you could look under some plant that you forgot about and <laughs> exactly. find seven heads of lettuce. And then all those flowers, I had to literally go through and just clean rows mm-hmm. and just cut back massive amounts of flowers. So I had like five buckets. Of fresh flowers. Right. Well, they were they were scattered all over the venue. All over the place. All over the place. What time did the chef show up? Um, the chef got there at about 5 o'clock. The guests began arriving at 6. That's the time of the event. I think the guests arrived at like 5.40. Because <laughs> I'd been talking and talking, and I looked down at my watch, and it was only 6.10, and I was like, dude, where did... <laughs> Well, by the time they got there, the chef was already in preparation for the meal. He was quick, man. In an open kitchen Mm -hmm. where any guest could walk up and begin having a conversation with the chef, watching knife skills, watching prep skills, seeing hacks and tricks. And I got to tell you, that was, I'll say it right at the top, that was my favorite part of the event. That's the thing that would have gotten me to pay to go to something like this. Mm Now, what is the event? You're going to show up for a four-course meal where I know you worked hard for a majority of the food to be grown by you. Yeah, if you can get it locally, we got it locally. And I try to steer away from you using types of things that we wouldn't be able to get locally outside of some very specific things like salt and flour and even some of that we're beginning to see some shifts in texas where we're some things like that that we're going to get one of the things that we will have in the next one that we are not getting currently in texas is cassava or yucca and so um maybe i'll have to learn how to grow yucca 
maybe not before the next event, but it, it gets me all excited to mm -hmm. think about different things. So that's the concept. And in this particular situation, the idea came about pretty traditionally because myself and the chef had worked together for some grow local things. And at that point, I hadn't gotten real super creative about it and going like, hey, let's do a this type of cooking event. Rather, it was like, okay, here's the vegetables, here's the meat. What what can you make with it? It really is the event version of our podcast. Everything we talk about. Uh huh. The one difference I would say, and then this, and this is an important part about the farm to table dinner and the way we did it before, the way we do it, and even the way other folks do it, maybe even restaurants. And that is, I'm very strict. I don't think that if you host a farm to table event. There should be really anything else on your plate except the stuff that you can get from local farmers or that farm for so many reasons. Well, especially when and, that's and, the draw. And I mean, exactly. that is the draw. And I think it also has to be the idea that it's not just local industrial. It's got to be local small farm. Literal farm to table is I grew it on the farm and then brought it in the kitchen and cooked it. And now it's on your table. Yeah, and the way we do things is that we're a little bit more lax about yes. it because we've got to feed our family regardless of we're not putting on a farm-to-table family dinner every night. Onions don't grow year-round here, and I need onions year-round. So right. we compromise in those kinds of areas. Yeah, and in certain times of the year, we're just not growing anything except okra, and we're not going to eat. Our kids would leave us if we <laughs> if we made them eat okra every single day, and it's already bad enough. I, but. Think, I think our kids that are... Driving age and approaching driving age would figure out a way to get food that they wanted. <laughs> so when we did the Grow Local events, it was how many of the local farmers can we use? When I do a farm-to-table private event, it's how few. Yes, I want to support my local farmers, certainly farmers that I've begun to kind of create a co-op type of relationship with and potentially maybe a future real co-op with. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be a more successful business owner if all of the ingredients come off of my own property. Mm -hmm. Because what I need is for the chef to understand, I need you to cook what I'm growing. And he was fantastic mm -hmm. at it, by the way. I've been saving up all of my stuff. So I've got beets and carrots and lettuce and spinach and every herb you could imagine this time of year is in, you know, yeah. I gave him an entire quart size Tupperware container full of an array of colorful edible flowers. Yeah. Calendula, nasturtium, bachelor buttons. What was the creative coming together of you and Chris as far as here's what I'm going to have and Chris saying, here is what I'm going to make? Okay, so we sat down, I don't know, probably about four weeks before the event happened. And I said, what do you guys think about doing a farm to table dinner with me? And they were fantastic. They were like, yes, we want to do it whatever we want we want to be involved and so at that point i'm just excited about the idea i've not never done anything like this before on the farm on my own with a chef and i'm the one that's just you know going to grow the product and we're going to have this and this and this and this and about three days later i started texting going we're not going to have any of that stuff i just told you we're going to have the, the freeze screwed me up and i don't know what i was thinking and i suppose i could buy some of the, the, the and it was almost as if he calmed me down and he was like hey whatever you have that's what we're going to use. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, of course, that's right. Whatever I have, that's what we're going to use. He tells me up front, I need to know proteins right now. 
I need to know what types of proteins we think we might use. And the reason is, is because of the freeze, because we have such small farmers, I've got to go to them and go, I need to have five chickens on April the 27th. Are you going to have that? No. Okay. Well, I need to go ask my other friend, my other farmer friend. Yes. You're going to have that. Are you going to have bacon? Yes. We'll have bacon. Okay. Perfect. Boom. Boom. Now, okay. did the chef say I want bacon? Yes. Okay. But I can say back to the chef, hey, man, nobody's going to have bacon by that time. And the thing about so it is So he had an folks, idea. He had an idea, bacon, chicken. Right. Well, I mean, they start there. And, and then that, I think it might have been harder for the first one because we didn't have kind of a predetermined, like, to kind of give the spoiler, the one that's coming up, we're doing a grain-free pizza. That's the event. It's a farm-to-table grain-free pizza. And that's why I mentioned the yucca and the cassava, mm -hmm. because we're not going to have yucca and cassava on June 1st. And you're trying to convince me that these events aren't a natural extension of the podcast. I know, right? Grain-free pizza challenge. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's his, the, he was the one who told us we needed to try that out. So yeah. when I suggested we do pizzas, because I was like... Pizzas are a very, very natural, easy thing to do out of a farm to table. And that's an important part of these events. And I said this from the very beginning when I spoke to the audience about what we're doing here. And someone asked me, is this a class before the official sellout had happened for the first one? Is this a class or is it a farm to table dinner? And I'm like, it's both. Yes, it's a farm to table dinner. Every month we do it or every time we do it, it may be a different style of doing it. But the, at the end of the day, my goal is to always teach you some things. That's what this podcast is about for well, me. It's a celebration of eating well. If you want to eat like this all of the time. Let me tell you how to do it. Let the chef show you some hacks and tricks to make it a little bit easier. Let the chef do the type of cooking that you would do in your home, not the super duper fancy stuff you would do at a restaurant that you would never do. Although there was a little bit of, of course super duper there fancy. Is. Of yeah. course there is. But anytime you get a chef involved in plating, I mean, it doesn't matter how good you cook, Joe, your plating style needs some, some, uh, you talking you to some, me? Yeah. Yeah. You got to well, have I some enjoyed, skill I there. Th I enjoyed, and I think he enjoyed the idea that it was all family style. So yes. he had stuck the four chicken quarters on one plate and then put that in the middle of the table. And mm -hmm. I love family style dining. There's not a really, I mean, outside of Chinese food, you know, mm -hmm. in our town, there's not a big family style place. That's exactly. And that was the thing when people walked up to the farm and media was like, welcome to our home. This is a working farm. Mm -hmm. Wear your boots, be comfortable. You know, you're in our home. But at the same time, we want you to have a fancy dinner and we want you to feel really good about it when you leave. And we want you to tell your friends about it. And part of that is having one of the best executive chefs in town involved in it, who does some of the most beautiful plating you've ever seen, mm -hmm. you know, and specialty things like that. I feel like we have seven rabbit holes going. I'm sure. Guest arrived. I saw a lot of wine bottles being opened. Yep. And then you yes, encouraged them. Yes, we do a BYOB them, style. Yeah. You encouraged them to go look at the farm. Absolutely. That's I, what they're there for. That's I, what I want you to get involved in. I pointed a couple people to where the location of your gardens were. I pointed out to people that... The grapes are coming onto the vine mm -hmm. for the wine vineyard. Like I said, it was a BYOB event. However, we did mention that we make wine on the farm and we haven't gotten to the point where we're in the production and sales of wine, but we would like to have you taste it mm -hmm. and let us know what you think about it. And then we can give you some information about how we're doing it. And a lot of the audience there, I know at least six of the people that were there sitting at the table are actually trying to do some of this type of stuff on their own property in different parts of the South Texas region. Mm -hmm. So 
building vineyards and building homesteads that they can grow and sort of, and potentially do some agritourism, which is what this is. This mm-hmm. is agritourism. People collect it at the fence line that separates the back pasture where the cattle and the pigs mm-hmm. just looking and admiring the livestock that's there. But then you rang the dinner bell mm-hmm. and the first course was a salad. And I trust that you grew a vast majority. Yeah. And I took the time to really talk about that with the audience as well. I'm not just serving you a salad where, and you've been to places before where you've had a very fancy salad mix with Mm -hmm. all kinds of leaves and things you didn't know. And I know that I've got an audience of people there that a lot of them really are trying to garden and they're really trying to grow. And one of the things I learned with the learning garden back in the days of teaching gardening with schools and stuff like that is that one day a coach from a school that was very nearby the garden walked over to talk to us and this is what happens down in our area. I don't know if it's happening in other areas, but the PE teacher gets thrown to the wolves with gardening. It's like the school wants to have a garden. So PE teacher, you better do it. And the PE teacher's like, I don't know anything about gardening. And they try. They're like, okay, it can't be that hard. I'm going to throw some seeds in. Well, they're throwing lettuce seeds in the ground in April and then telling the kids, eat it, it's delicious, because the whole point is we're trying to convince kids to eat vegetables, and the kids are like... Connect them to the growing process, they might be more interested in actually eating the food. Right, exactly. And the coach tells me, the kids were telling me the lettuce was terrible, and I kept telling them, just eat it, it's fine, it's good. And then finally, I tasted it, and they were right. The lettuce is terrible. Why is the lettuce terrible? And I'm like, oh, see, this is why we need more education for the educators in order to do this type of education, because you can't grow lettuce when it's 80 degrees outside, 90 degrees outside. It absolutely tastes horrible, and the kids are right. It tastes horrible. You know, what have we learned on our property, and what can I teach you about what we've learned that will help make your experience even better And part of that isn't just just for the people that are growers and farmers and trying to create, but also it's just what you're buying from the grocery store. Because if you're buying kale from the grocery store in August and it looks like crap and is extra bitter, then you need to understand that anywhere in America in August, it's too hot to be eating that stuff. Even if they shipped it to you from California, it's still going to be the most bitter, tough kale that you can get. And so those are important things in terms of knowing when to buy things and when not to buy things. Like my dad used to always say to me when I was a kid, and it didn't make sense to me back then, but makes perfect sense to me now. I'm not buying grapes this time of year. Grapes are too expensive. And I was like... Dad, eh. you know, and nowadays people, I mean, you're a good example of this. You'll buy grapes, apples, bananas all year long because that's all Savannah will eat. But they're like the most ridiculously expensive certain times a year. And then certain times of other times a year, they're super cheap. And it's because they're highly available right now. I want people to know that kind of stuff too, because not only is it going to be better on your budget, but it's also going to taste better. Right. Then your dad got up and talked about his wine for a little while. Anyone here would like to take a sip? All of the hands went up yes. and uh, we got to serve a little wine. And here's why I enjoyed that so much. It goes back to a phrase we like to use, meet the maker. Yes. A product, a good, a thing is always better when there's a short pathway to the person that made it. How many bottles of wine have you ordered? But when you get to go meet the maker, 
it makes it that much more special and you're apt to learn a lot. Exactly. And then we moved into the entree, which was those chicken quarters mm-hmm. that I guess he had roasted and with all of those herbs that you talked about that were available. He just yep. like just covered them with them. But the best part was watching him butcher the chickens mm-hmm. for me. And when I use the term butcher, I'm talking about taking the whole bird and turning it into the pieces that he intended on doing. I've butchered plenty of birds, but to watch a professional do it with the right tools when he does it day after day after day, do my, they call my it kitchen butchering will be just when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Is that butchering? Yes. Slaughtering is when you kill the animal. I think this is an unanswered butchering, question. No, when you go to the butcher, you're going to a person that takes whole cuts of meat and turns them into sellable smaller cuts of meat. But that, no, no, that's not we'll what happens. At, that's not what happens at a butcher. Okay. That may be what happens at the butcher now. Yeah. But that's not a good butcher buys an entire carcass of meat. It's already been slaughtered, but it's an entire carcass of meat. I think we'll take it up next I'm week. I'm curious. I would like to ask at the minimal some of our chef friends. And along with the entree, I gotta, I gotta keep you on target, was a medley of different vegetables prepared in a couple of different ways, and that's where that bacon came in. The Brussels sprouts that mm. I've grown this year, I had my first couple rounds of green beans. Mm. I'm growing pretty purple green beans, mm. all different kinds of green beans. And then the third was that cabbage I had mentioned earlier, and he used bacon to season it. Talk to me about the dessert he ended up serving. Well, desserts can be challenging for us because we don't grow as much fruit down here as maybe we'd like to, as deep south as we are. Um, And a lot of the fruits that we grow down here tend to be a little bit more tropical. And then after you've had a massive freeze, even the tropical fruits aren't here anymore. (laughs) Our big stuff that we grow the best so far is the grapes that we grow for the vineyard, figs, and pears. My mom last year had canned a lot of the figs and pears harvested from the trees. So the dessert was the canned figs. He grilled them and then he used a balsamic reduction that he had actually made. Mm -hmm. And left behind a nice little sample of it for us to use. Nice. And then some homemade whipped cream that he had made. And then he put a little bit of the soft cheese that we had gotten from a local dairy. And I've talked about that local dairy before. And made this most delicious little treat with a couple of pretty edible flowers that were left over from earlier. Good shit. (laughs) Good shit, man. I said that you and I hadn't collaborated on this one the way that we have for similar types of events in the past. So right before the event, I did a thing that I'll sometimes do where I walk off alone with you, giving you potential talking points to pepper into your speech. Mm Mm-hmm. You rejected all of them. But well, I have I w- thoughts about that. Can I give you my thoughts about that? Sure. And I'm going to tell you what my favorite one. One of the things that you learned over the years with Grow Local was because I'm spinning so many damn plates mm-hmm. and because I know myself well enough to know that when you work in a volunteer world with volunteers, that the volunteers all know one person and they're going to come to that one person yes. and they're going to ask that one person and that one person is in danger of question. being overloaded. Uh huh. And I had known that from early on. I also know that I have a past, a background of habitual coding connected to a lot of anxiety around the actual day of the event. Yeah. So you well, and I'm gotten- not like that at all. And it's been an adjustment over the years because I'm like, it's showtime, baby. Let's go. And you're internalizing probably a lot of anxiety until the least the thing gets kicked off and it's running on autopilot. 
Exactly. And then once that happens, back in those days, I had trained everyone in the leadership of volunteers to keep all of the volunteers from bombarding me and let me talk to the guests. Let me be the host. Mm -hmm. Let me, you know, do that part of it. And if bombs are going off in the back, I need you guys to handle the bombs so that I don't look like a bomb face mm -hmm. whenever I'm over there talking to somebody that just wrote a $5,000 check for the organization, <laughs> right? <laughs> We're, we have a bomb going off at the kitchen, but yes, thank you for that $5,000 check. Let me do that. And so I think the training had come with... Number one, Joe likes to put on the show. Joe likes the stage presence. Joe likes stage direction. Joe likes that whole concept. But number two, I've trained everyone around me to tell me what to do because remind me where I'm supposed to be going. Who am I supposed to talk to? What's the name of that person over there? When do I need to be on stage? But the truth of the matter is that the small size makes a huge difference for sure. me. And the and, experience. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm an expert. Like, I know this stuff. I know where this food came from. I know how it grew. It no longer becomes a, I need to remember what I'm supposed to say kind of situation. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm talking about here. Our favorite restaurant, the owners, our friends, invited us out to eat tonight. Yay! But you have a friend visiting from out of town that may join us. We've been doing takeout when we dine out. Mm-hmm for a long, long while. I am so excited to sit down at a table with these friends and the experience that will be created by drawing these four or maybe five, I hope that she can attend because that would be an interesting fifth dynamic to create an experience tonight that we may not ever be able to duplicate again, even if the four of us are in the room together. Mm -hmm. That was the one note I gave you, that together, the strangers in the room and the friends that you may have brought with you in the room are here together in this experience to celebrate food, and we can have a magical time. And I'm going to tell you, honey, indeed, I think it was. I don't have to tell people to be magical in order to create magic in a room. I sprinkle my little fairy dust around. You do. And nobody even knows it's on them. And I do think there's definitely an element that people understand that there is a exclusivity that's happening here. When you only have 16 seats to sell and they sell out within on the very first event within the first week and then on the second event on the first day, you've got something really special going on here. And I hope that people understand that that means that there's plenty of room for other families and farms to do the same type of work all over the country yeah, please and bring do. people to support your homestead by offering your home and opening it up to others. Yeah. I was going to say, please do. And then invite us because exactly. we, we love this kind of thing. Exactly. So I went and bought all of the makings for one of our universally loved meals, the infamous chicken and broccoli and yes, cauliflower. I was going to say, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I called you on the way home because from the farm. Because you told mm -hmm. me that tomorrow I'll be bringing home broccoli. Yeah, I said I have a bunch of broccoli. I have a harvest. bunch of broccoli. Yeah. And then on the way home, I said, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, you're not because we don't have any broccoli. And you're like, what? I saw the picture. I saw the picture. We talked about you bringing home broccoli. Well, this is how it works. This is. I had planned a meal in my mind based <laughs> upon the harvest that was going to be delivered. This is how it works. Which is because I'm my on the job. farm. I'm on the farm. Yes. I get all the veggies yeah. from one day of harvest. And yesterday wasn't even a big harvest day. But there's so much stuff growing out there right now. 
that there's going to be a harvest regardless. And then I've got this beautiful broccoli. And it's like the biggest broccoli head I grew all season. And y'all, my broccoli situation got really screwed up this year with the freeze. The one thing my dad asked me about over and over and over again when planting my fall vegetables is, did you plant broccoli? Did you plant? He asked me like two or three times, did you plant broccoli? Yeah. Did you plant a lot of broccoli? Yeah. And I planted cauliflower too. I know, but did you plant broccoli? Yeah, I planted broccoli. So when I took that bowl of broccoli in, my parents were like, we want the broccoli. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So my parents had delicious broccoli for dinner last night. And we had delicious beans yes. and Brussels sprouts okay. and carrots okay. and radishes, okay. all that I grew. Let's do a stir so. fry. Let's do it. Exactly. <laughs> In anticipation of our chicken macaroni and cheese. He's like, what can I do with chicken? I made a chicken. chicken. No, I just came home at lunch and put a chicken on in the Instant Pot. Uh-huh. Was it your idea to do... Fried rice. Yep. With one very specific direction. I want it just like the hibachi place. Yes. Don't make gross fried rice. Make it like they make it in the hibachi places. This won't be the first time I have Googled Benihana vegetable fried rice copycat. This won't be the first time I've Googled that. When you look up hacha hacha, what comes up? Boom, unanswered question. That's what I think. Before I met you, we called it chicka chicka. The hacha hacha. No, it's chicka chicka. No, no. Hacha hacha is what it became in in our our house. house. It's hacha hacha. Yeah, of course. I know. Because you get two votes. Because I'm awesome. Here's the secret ingredient. Room temperature or colder rice. So the moment that I knew you wanted to do... They're not bringing a steaming hot thing of rice at the Hacha Hacha Chicken Chicken. They're in a bowl and they dump the whole... They dump the whole... Yeah. So I got the rice just like they do it at Hacha Hacha Chicken Chicken. You set that aside while you're prepping all of your vegetables. Create a new word. I took your... It won't work. Okay, so... Now that I've grown Brussels sprouts a season, yeah, and we've had, what, three or four now? We've had several recipes with Brussels sprouts in them. Of course. Next season, I'll have Brussels sprouts again because now I know how to grow Brussels sprouts. I had the idea that we should do a thing where in every single episode, we just tell you what we did a year ago today. Oh, that's a fun idea. Food-wise. That might help with some of our friends that are trying to hard to like find recipes for the things that we talk about. Well, you bring up a good and the point. the cookbook hasn't because been created we yet. we cook with local seasonal food, it only stands to reason that episode 34 of season two... Maybe, because when the seasons shift... Has got some of the same vegetables as episode 34 season one, because it was just a year ago. I We need to look into that. This is like an unanswered question situation because I'm curious to know because of the freeze, because of everything that's happening, what was the seasonal heavy duty? What were we eating from what you grew last year or what we bought at the farmer's market? Right. Exactly. What were we buying at the farmer's market? We were probably already buying squash by now. Squash was available at the farmer's market. I didn't buy any. No, I know. Because we don't... It, we know right, we're it was about... one of the first one or two weeks that it has been available. Well, and we have a lot of other stuff right now. We have, we have tons a, of lettuce. And we, have we have a lot of other of stuff. And I'm having and... trouble keeping up with what we've got. Yeah, this is... That's a fun concept. I like it a lot. And I like I'm the idea about the of even being able to see the seasonality of climate change. You know? Well, what makes season two different than season one more than anything vegetable-wise has been the freeze. That's been the... That, 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 that end that I'm huge, the grower. Huge plot point. Both of those things are the <laughs> huge plot Season point. two had a really weird twist right in the middle of it, and that was the freeze. 
season one had a really weird twist in the middle of it. The Corona, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a story arc that's gone all the way through. It's just that we never talk about it anymore because I think most people have kind of settled into how they feel about the whole thing. Because, you know, science. I heard you telling your mom about your cooking the fried rice last night. I thought it was really I'm cool. I'm trying to have as many conversations with my mom about me mm-hmm. as I can. Mm-hmm. Because she, and also she to entertain them. her while she's there by herself in yeah, a rehab center. Exactly. Yeah. Of which she is bouncing back in a very, very yeah, that's what my mom inspirational said. way. My mom said she spoke to her for a while today. Too. I think that I think that some girl power women got a hold of like her posse. Oh. What would you call that? Her, her group? Her, her cronies her is what my grandmother would call them. Got a hold of her and mm-hmm. said, you only get one life and you're going to live the rest, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You either get busy living or you get busy dying. I heard that in the movie one time. Well, she was at that point of making that choice. Well, she made the choice and... Uh, good for her. Very good. Good for, for her. everybody. Mm-hmm. Have we talked about celeriac yet? <laughs> This is what happens when we don't really have a good plan. No, we have. This is fantastic. (laughs) I resent that you just said that. (laughs) I always add more eggs than the recipe calls for. Yes, because I—that's one of my things I like. No, because backyard chickens means we have dozens and dozens of eggs. You don't do do it for me because I like it. I'm doing it for all of the above. (laughs) But right before we started cooking, we learned that Mr. Picky was coming over. Oh yeah, this was fun. Lily tells me. Because they've gone from hanging out together through, she mentioned last night, no, he's my boyfriend. Interesting. Yes. He didn't talk to me at all. Well, I don't think he has to, but they talked to me. I said, okay, well, tell him we're making fried rice because, you know, everybody's eating fried rice. Everyone's eating soup. (laughs) Right. She goes, he said he would eat anything Joe made. Okay. Now, listen. I I think he just is entertained to come to our table. He wants whatever Joe makes. Uh Uh-huh. My head just swole up so big, my heart and my desire to present, you know, something that fits that kind of expectation. Yeah. You know, and when he sat down, we started talking about it a little bit. I was like, you know, have you eaten fried rice? And oh, oh, I know. Lily said... He eats Panda Express, okay. which is like fast food, Chinese food. It's an Asian food, fast food joint. And you said, oh, he's getting the J-Hack Express it's you right, know, tonight. tonight. And, you know, I see him kind of almost digging in. Like, he's eaten. Like, he's excited about it. And he's putting ranch dressing on his salad. And mm-hmm. you can tell he's kind of picking around at the part of the salad that he wants. But right. he's eating Your it. Your salads are a little weird. And then we kind of start talking about it again a little bit more. We start talking about... Do you eat Brussels sprouts? Do you like the Brussels sprouts? He goes, I don't think I got any Brussels sprouts. And Lily's like, no, there's Brussels sprouts in there. And he's like, oh, I guess I just ate them. I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And my heart, like you said, my heart grew. Uh-huh. I looked at him and I was like, what an exciting life you have ahead of you. That's right. You are going to get to experience so many new things. And I can already tell your personality is you like all different kinds of people from all different kinds of cultures and races and all of that. And if that's the case, you're going to... In this world, in this day, in this culture, you're going to have to eat all different kinds of food. I realized about around this moment that I have become the guy that tells the same stories over and over again. (laughs) And I was working in my mind of, have I told this story yet? (laughs) And I know I've told it here on the show. And it's, it's how some of the biggest introductions to international cuisine came when I finally got out of two largely homogenous zones that Mm -hmm. i lived at until i was in my 20s well and it's a lot harder these days to be homogenous oh yeah it really is i think that's an exciting 
moment for these folks. Mm -hmm. That's an exciting place to live. Well, and I just told him, I said, here, let me give you some some safety advice. I said, wherever you go to eat with whatever crowd that you're wanting to try things in, the main thing that you can know is in the American diet, you're still going to get chicken and potatoes right. because they know that Americans eat chicken and potatoes. It's going to have different flavor It's just going to have different profiles. seasonings on it. And so that's pretty safe. And then you'll get used to the seasonings because everybody likes chicken and potatoes. Right. You know, it felt really good. And it felt good that like kids like to eat at our table. They enjoy coming to our table. The food's good. Our kids have a lot of experience with a lot of things, so it's going to make it a little bit easier on them. But then another kid that doesn't have any experience, I'm like, how exciting. You're like an infant in the food world, and you're going to get to try so many cool things, and it's okay if you're scared of them. And I'm glad you came to our table so that we could say, well, this is what we have to eat, and if you want to sit at the table with us, which is kind of fun and entertaining, and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but this is what we're eating And they try it and nobody's giving them any pressure to like clean their plate or, you know, anything like that. It's just like, this is what we have. And he's clearly a brave kid, you know, because Lily is like me. She's big personality, big, different, has words to say that other people don't agree with. I told her last night when we were chit-chatting, I go, someday, baby girl, I was like, you will know how to be a Dharma in, in the Greg world's. Because she said that everybody asks her all the questions as if she's the only liberal in the room. And she's like, I'm not even actually a liberal exactly. I just have some opinions cool. about things. <laughs> like, I live in a house that's open-minded. Yeah. It was it was a fantastic dish. Fried rice is like pizza. You can put whatever you have on it. Oh, certainly, it. but we don't want to make it too much in the house right. to where we get tired of it. Right. Because like the Brussels sprouts are gone. The carrots are gone for the okay. most part. I mean, we're moving. No, not gone, but we're like at the edge of them. Uh-huh. Now we're about to have squash, tomatoes, eggplants, cucumbers, melons, I'm making corn, spaghetti and potatoes. as soon as you give me enough tomatoes to do it. Well, now we finally got to that time of the podcast that everyone knows and loves. It's Dinner Table Ducks. What? Dinner Table Ducks. That's the name of the podcast, but that's oh. not the name of this segment. <laughs> I knew what, there was a reason why. We only took one week sound. off. <laughs> I was wondering why it didn't sound right. Table topics. Give it to me. <laughs> Are you more likely to be guilty of gluttony, lust, rage, jealousy, sloth, greed, or pride? Which of the seven deadly sins is my pet sin? Is that what the question is? Gluttony, lust, okay. I lust after you. I am guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm not a rager, although you've seen me enraged. Hardly. You depress all those things deep, deep down inside. I'd like someday to think- they're gonna. I hope you rage someday. I hope it comes out someday. Not on me, but it needs to come out. Jealousy, no. Oh. Greed, no. Definitely not. Pride, sloth, and gluttony. Those would be the three that may be case. Sloth, if I understand the definition, would be... I'm going back to the movie Seven now. That's the guy... That's not a good idea at all. Otherwise, one of our heads is going to end up in a box. Sloth... Not mine. Yeah. Sloth is the notion of... Laziness, Inactivity, right? right? Yeah. Laziness. Gluttony is... Overconsumption over of, of anything. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be food. Pride. Sloth. Sloth is mine. Not checking all the items off the list. Getting the project 95% done. That's the one that I would probably need the most self-work on. 
You agree? I, I'm not. No way. No, sir. <laughs> then uh, we'll be without a podcast again. <laughs> or maybe not. Um, mine is probably rage. Let me see that card again. Because, hold on. Let me look at it. Gluttony, mm -hmm. overconsumption is definitely not mine. No. Um, Chocolate. <laughs> less, no. Jealousy, maybe, but not really. Sloth, maybe, but no. No, not you. Greed, definitely not. I don't think Pride so. would be the other one that, yeah. but I think it's rage. I really do because I don't hold on. I'm getting better at, at doing it, but I'm very passionate, which I've been, has been used as a synonym for your rage. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm very passionate. And no, no, it, it, it kind of is. It's that like, um, well, your passion is exhibited in ways that aren't rage at all. Right. Exactly. But sometimes people don't know the difference between, like me, you know, trying to find the harmony in passion that is just creative and light-bearing and passion that is, I'm not in control, I'm going to burn it all down, you bitches. <laughs> That's me. Just eat it, it's fine. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Dinner Table Talks. We will be back next Monday with a fresh episode. In the meantime, hit us up on social media, send us an email, DM us, whatever. We want to hear from you. And we hope that you're enjoying the episodes as much as we enjoy creating them for you. Because I, I was... Goodbye. What's that word you say? Mazakan Thumbin? Mazakan Thumbin? No. Mazins. We could talk about Mazin some other time. <laughs> Write that down, Mazin, because I love Mazin. <laughs>